Happy New Year's to all. We weren't here last weekend. Susie and I had a chance to get away for our anniversary and a um, wonderful time of just being away and relaxing and being together. Um, w- one of the things that, that happened at the place where we were staying is there's a, um, there's a sinkhole in one of the walkways that some water has gotten underneath and, and taken out um, the, the dirt underneath. And so there's a hole there, two, three feet deep. And the whole weekend, we did great at avoiding this hole because we knew about it and there was things there protecting us from it. And it's right outside the door. We did great about, about avoiding this hole. And on Sunday, right before we left to come home, I, I'm walking around enjoying the, the construction and admiring the construction and looking up and just sort of seeing what all was done. And I'm walking along, Susie's right ahead of me about five feet, and she says, I'm walking along, and I just go, boom, just right into the hole, about three feet down, and, and she said it just looked like I dropped off the face of the earth, just, just suddenly she was taller than I was. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't get hurt or anything, but it was a little shocking to be walking along, and lesson that I learned out of that is it's good to watch where you're going. Right? I mean, that's a basic lesson. It's good to, to watch where you're going when you're driving and when you're walking, whatever. And because I was looking at other things and wasn't w- watching where I was going, um, could have been a, a really difficult situation. <laughs> but um, I think about that as we come to Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the year and one of my most frustrating Sundays of the year. I'll just say that up front because there's so much that I want to say. There's so much that I want to talk about. The, so many ways that I've seen God working this last year at Village. So many ideas and things for this coming year. And chances are you don't want me to go for five hours. So we're going to try to, to narrow it down. That's the frustrating part. But Vision Sunday is about watching where we're going. About looking ahead and, and watching out for any holes. But more than that, is saying this is the goal. This is where we want to end up. And it's a, a wonderful thing to be able to spend some time in prayer and spend some time just asking God for direction. Saying, God, where do you want us to go as a church? What do you want to do at Village in 2014? I, I loved reflecting on last year in 2013 and how many times the Gospel was shared and people bringing friends to church and sharing the Gospel with them themselves and New Sunday school classes were started and, and new community groups were formed and we saw the, the church going through a number of new pieces of material and just really some exciting things. One of the things that excites me most is watching people enter into discipleship relationships. Watching people come alongside each other and say, hey, you want to study this book with me? Let, let's, let's go through this passage of Scripture or this book of the Bible or, or this book... Um, and, and really invest in each other's lives. Last year, our theme was reproduce and living life on purpose for His purpose and with a focus on discipleship and making sure that we were intentional about doing what God wanted us to do. And, and I've loved how many examples of that there were. Now, just because we're changing themes doesn't mean discipleship is no longer needed. We'll just get that out of the way right up front. Discipleship is what we're about as a church. It's what Jesus commanded us to be about. It's what we, what we see throughout the rest of the New Testament that the church is to be about. And so we will always be at Village about discipleship. It's part of our vision of what God has asked us to do. 
But this year, we want to continue to focus on, okay, what other ways or how does God want us to put that into practice? How do we actually make sure that we continue to disciple and that it's not just a one-and-done thing? But as we go through life, we are always seeking those older than us and those younger than us to be in discipling relationships. Discipleship isn't a program that you go through one year and you're like, woohoo, I'm discipled. Now I don't have to do it for the next 50 years. Discipleship is a, a continuous process of investing in each other's lives every year, every moment. And so we want to continue that and, and talk about this year going from a blueprint of that to the reality. And Don, if you want to put that first slide up, you can see on the left side of our, our picture for the year, you see a blueprint of some construction. Right side is reality. Anyone recognize what that is? Myron, you're not allowed to answer. It's, it's the, the church building project from a few years ago. And so this is our church. It's literally building the church. But we want to go from that blueprint to reality. And so to, to start that today, I'd like some volunteers. If I could have five, six, seven men to come up and help me build something. Just stand up. Come on up. Trust, it's nothing bad. Just trust me. <laughs> um, but I want you to help me build something out of some wood, hammer, nails. This is like... Ooh. Some good stuff. So come on up. We'll see, Stephen. I'm going to give you this one. Oh, it's got your name on it? Okay. wonder where that hammer came from. Um, I want to build a wall. And as they're building this wall, watch and think about God building His church and any similarities you can come up with or any lessons we learn from this. Um, what we're going to do is, is build, just, just frame a wall. This will be our bottom stud or plate. Myron is much better at knowing what these are called. And that'll be our top one. Um, Probably this way. Yeah, as long as there's enough. And we're going to put seven studs in between. Um, oh. two, two nails. That <laughs> <laughs> there's seven of us. We're good. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do seven studs in between, 16 inches on center, two nails, and the nails are over there um, in the top and bottom. So guys, if you can grab a piece of wood, start laying it out. This end, Stephen, let's not nail this last one. Okay? So let's leave this one like that. And the rest. And, and Myron is our master builder, so if you want to give us any instructions. I, it, they are marked 16 inches on center already. Um, and you can see those marks on the wood. They're not marked probably as professionally as others would. But it's a tape measure and a line. <laughs> so let's see. There's going to be one extra piece. So you can just leave that one there. Okay, so let's, let's nail this together. Put them to the audience side of the mark. You want to see the mark on the edge. So put the mark on the back? Put the mark. Put the board to the audience side of the mark. Like this? Like that. you got to be able to see the mark. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no, the other way. On the other side. Oh, you said the side side. Put the mark on the board on the audience. This is why Myron taught us how to build the building and not me. Okay, grab some nails here. Some hammers. Some of you might need to hold it together while someone else is hammering.
<laughs> so this is church. One of the things I appreciate about this congregation is you put up with my object lessons. <laughs> my hammers from home aren't the same as his. How are we doing? Doing well? You need more nails? You got nails? Okay. Some of us are bit nails. Great job. Let's let's see if we can lift it up. Great. Thank you, gentlemen. Our decoration crew did a great job of the decorations. Okay, that one's not going to stay. Is that a problem? <laughs> That's what I did wrong at home. We have a wall. Okay, what, what, what object lessons can we get about God building His church and, and how God builds His church? What? There's a plan, okay? His plan's a little better than mine. But there's a plan. What else? Many hands make light work. If I was doing that, my first thought was I'll build a wall by myself. And we'd still be here and we'd have one stud done. And that would be the whole sermon. Um, but God has designed his church to work together and, and for each part. What? You have to be willing to have some bent nails. Um, unless some of us are perfect in the room. And, and if you are, please talk to me later. And we'll look at what God's Word has to say about that. <laughs> um, what else? Any other object lessons? A whole bunch of people said stuff that I missed. Joe? Uh, tools will be helpful. Tools are helpful. Okay, good. <coughs> Knowing how to use the tools is even more helpful. Stephen? Okay, being prepared with the right... My, my hammers from home weren't the best for this job, Right. Not for this job. Challenges will, come. Challenges will come. Exactly. I'm like, okay, we'll be done with this in five minutes. And now I'm thinking, okay, now we have to fit everything else in. Experience brings wisdom. Experience brings wisdom. Isn't it interesting how different people were working together and some had a lot of experience framing a wall, others no experience, but as God brought, his, brought people together, it worked out. There was somebody here. One plank at a time, Okay going to take a lot of time. And, and, and God is in control of the timing. So all kinds of lessons we can learn. And I want to be thinking about that. We're going to leave this up for, for a few weeks, maybe a lot of weeks this year, because I want us to be thinking about God building His church. Our theme for the year is be God's church, build God's church, losing our lives for the King. Be God's church, build God's church, losing our lives for the King. If you have your notes those, coincidentally, are the three points this morning. 
And so you can even fill them in now and, and have those filled in and not worry about if I skip a blank or something like that. But be God's church, build God's church, losing our lives for the King. And I'd like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we begin to talk about what it means to be God's church this morning. And, and I'll try to give just an overview, a quick overview of each of these points this morning. And then throughout the year, we can flesh them out and, and really dig into them a little bit more. But turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And our key verses for the year are 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4, 4 through 6 and 9 and 10, as well as Mark 8, 34 and 35. So 1 Peter 2, 4-6. through 6. I'd like to read through the passage, talk through it a little bit, and then come back to some observations about our points. Starting at verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. We'll continue in a moment. He starts by, by giving us the foundation of God's work. The foundation is the living stone, which is Jesus Christ. And, and it's interesting, he uses the word living stone because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We say that, right? We praise Him that He took the penalty for our sins. But let's not forget that He was resurrected from the dead as well. And we serve a God who is alive that is still a living stone. And so He becomes the cornerstone. We see that a little bit later in verse 6, that He is the cornerstone. But in verse 4 there, we see that He was rejected by men. And that's a a reference to ultimately His crucifixion, that He came to bring salvation and men rejected Him and ended up crucifying Him. So right from the start, Peter is, is bringing us back to the foundation, a living stone that is still living inside of us, Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Then verse 5 is the key verse. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And Peter here, as, as he gives a, a metaphor for the church and what God is doing with the church, says basically you guys are rocks. You guys are stones, and and for them, that was very significant because they didn't have a lot of trees in the area. They built their houses out of stones. You know, we build houses out of two-by-fours. For them, it was stone upon stone upon stone. If we were to to say this today in our area, we'd say, you yourselves are two-by-fours. You're planks of wood. You're nails. And what Peter is saying is, you make up the building that God is building. You are living stones, living two-by-fours that are part of what God is doing in His church. And by God bringing us together, by God building us together, He is building His church for His purposes. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The imagery for spiritual house oftentimes was a reference to the temple. In fact, in the Old Testament, we, we have a number of verses in the New Testament where God's house or a spiritual house was a reference to the temple. What was the temple about in the Old Testament? What did it represent? Meeting place with God. The Holy of Holies was the, the 
presence of God, right? And so it represented the presence of God. And, and God's Word here is saying, now that's the church. You yourselves are living two-by-fours. You're being built up into a temple to God. He dwells in us. He lives in us. But the verse goes on. Because it's not just about being a two-by-four. He says, to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so he, he continues to use the temple imagery and he says, you're not only the building, but you're the priesthood that, that ministers in the building. The priests in the Old Testament would minister before Yahweh, before God Almighty, and they'd minister who He was and show who He was to the nations and to people. They were representatives of God in the ministry of God. And this is just changing everything from the Old Testament and saying, you now are the temple and you're the ministers because God dwells inside of you. The Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, dwells inside of His children. And so we're to be a holy priesthood. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And so we see that it's not just about being a two-by-four or being the church. It's about doing something with it. It's for a purpose to minister, to, to offer acceptable sacrifices, to show God to a world that needs Him, to do what pleases God. And if you look at verse 5 there, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We see a reference back to the foundation of Jesus Christ, but the purpose is to do what pleases God. And if we think about why God is building His church, what God is, is doing in His church, it's to do His will, to do His purpose, to please Him. Now, something I want to mention that is key in this text is He's referring to the church as a whole. He's referring to the collective. In our Western mindset, our, our thought sometimes is, I'm a two-by-four. I'm part of God's building. I'm a living stone. And yes, that's there. He's not taking away that personal idea. But everything in this text and as we, we study about his church is we are living stones. We are two by fours. Because really, what's this two by four by itself? It's a two by four. What's this? It's a framed wall. Give or take, I mean, close. It's, it's a framed wall. There's a difference. This becomes this because of God's work in the collective. And so what Peter is saying here is we are living stones. And God is doing a work in His church. You yourselves, plural, like living stones, plural, are being built up to a spiritual house, a temple of God, singular, His church. To be a holy priesthood, plural. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. And we see that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He goes on in, in verse 7 to say He was rejected. And He's referring directly to some Old Testament prophecies here. 
that we don't have time this morning to dig into. But it's our trust in the Lord, it's our belief in the Lord that makes Him the foundation, makes Him the cornerstone. So right from the start, Peter is saying, you're the church. You're part of the building. You're part of what makes up the building and how God builds it. Jump down to verse 9. Some of my favorite verses. And just listen to what Peter says, what the Holy Spirit says about who we are. In verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Think about those terms. Especially for them as they were, they, they were steeped in the Old Testament. Who was the chosen race in the Old Testament? Israel. And now the Holy Spirit is saying, you as believers are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. The collective. You are a holy nation. And I get excited when I hear these descriptions. When I, when I read this and, and I think differently about ourselves, when I look at this congregation, it's not just a group of people, each of us with our own weirdness, but it's, it's a holy nation, a people that God has called to Himself. A priesthood. And that changes how we look at each other. That changes how we see each other. And again, just like we saw in verse 5, there's a purpose here. A holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Why did God bring the church together? What does that verse say? To proclaim His excellencies. To declare Him. To be a light for Him. And so God is intentionally bringing us together this morning as His church to accomplish His purpose in a very dark world. And my hope is, especially if you've been attending here for any amount of time, that none of this this morning is new. You're like, okay, here we go again. But we need to be reminded of it. We need to be looking for what God has for us to be constantly looking in that direction. that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because you are saved, because you are adopted, because we are God's church, we proclaim His excellencies. Because Jesus saved us, we will... dot dot dot. And that's just sort of scratching the surface of that passage. But I wanted to read through and sort of talk through that whole passage about our identity, the purpose of our identity, what God is doing with His church, the collective, to now go back to our theme and talk about each item in the theme. And the first point in your notes is be God's church. Be God's church. And a couple of observations there. The first is is sort of the obvious one. This is God's church. This is God's church. Village is God's church. We are God's church. This isn't my church. This isn't Pastor Andrew's church. This is, who's our longest attender uh, here? Don, is that you? This isn't, this isn't Don's church. Sorry, Don. <laughs> this is God's church. 
What difference does that make? You can respond this morning. We can talk a little bit. What difference does that make? It's not about me. Because if God's the builder and the owner, who's it about? Him. Okay? Very, have you ever gone to downtown LA and, and I remember one of our amazing races, we, we had you walk out of a subway right in the middle of looking at these huge buildings. I bet none of you said, wow, that is such an amazing two by four in that building. No, you're seeing the big picture, right? You're seeing the whole of what was designed by the designer and built by the builder. This is God's church to bring Him glory, to declare His excellencies. We see that over and over in verse 9 and 10. You are a chosen race. God's the one that chose us. It's His church. A royal priesthood to minister on behalf of God. A holy nation. His nation. A people for His own possession that directly says... We are God's church. We are not ours. And we've got to start there. When we think of be God's church, we've got to remember it's God's church. Ownership gives authority. And so that His ownership affects how we approach ministry. It affects how we approach God's Word. It affects how we decide to do what we're going to do as a church. We could, we could just get rid of the Sunday morning service and have parties every Sunday morning. That'd be cool, right? A lot of fun. Maybe build some more walls. The problem is, God's Word says, you come together, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. And one of the purposes that we see throughout God's Word is to worship Him, to study His Word, to be His people. And so the fact that it's God's church means we follow His blueprint. Ownership gives authority, so we follow how God wants us to be, not how we want to be. I think also ownership breeds responsibility. If this is God's church, and we are simply stewards of God's church, what what kind of emotions does that bring inside? It's, It's a sense of responsibility. I'm responsible to the owner. I'm responsible to the builder. If I mess this up, I'm not messing up my church. I'm messing up God's almighty church. God Almighty's church. That is an awesome responsibility. But the other, thing I, the other thing I think of when I think this is God's church, when I read that, when I see that in so many of the passages, my response is, man, that is awesome. That's incredible. This is God's church. And if I'm a living two-by-four in God's church... He is living inside of me. He is dwelling inside of me. We are God's church. His dwelling place. His temple. This is holy ground. Man, that excites me. What an awesome privilege. Village, as we think about what God wants for His church, we start... And how to be God's church, we start by realizing this is God's church. But the second observation about being God's church is that to, to be God's church means action. It means to do something. And there's different ways we use the word be. Can I sit on my couch and be God's church? Well, in one sense, yes, because I am part of God's church. As a believer, I'm part of God's church. 
But when we use the phrase, be God's church, we, we mean something else, don't we? You know, anyone watching football playoffs? Yesterday, some of the games were in the rain. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be out there in the rain. I wouldn't want to be that. I can just imagine what, what would happen if a player came off the field and says, coach, I, don't put me back in. It's a little wet out there. Is he a football player? No, I can imagine the coach grabbing him by the, the pads and saying, be a football player. Now, what does he mean? The guy's already a football player, but he's not acting like a football player, right? He's not embodying what it means to be a football player. Dads, if I was to say to you, and I have said to you, and I'll continue to say to you, be fathers. Be fathers in your family. Am I meaning that you should, should bear more children or have more children? No, what am I meaning? Act like fathers. Act like what God says fathers should be. And so when we, we already know this, this phrasing, this is more than just, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm part of God's church. I can sit here and do nothing. To be God's church is a statement of action. To do something. We saw that in verses 5 and, and 9 out of the, the 1 Peter 2 passage. In verse 5, you yourselves are like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, which is a call to action, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And Romans 12.1 says what spiritual sacrifices are, are acceptable to God? Our lives. Ourselves. These are statements of actions. In verse 9, you were saved. You were once a people. You, you were not a people, and now you are a people. You're a holy nation that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you. Village, if we're going to be the church, we've got to get out of our chairs and be the church. It's got to go past Sunday morning. We can't just sit here and pretend we're God's church and not be God's church. This fights apathy. We're to courageously put Christianity into action. Everything that God says His church should do. To get off the sidelines. See, God is never pleased with idle Christians. He always expects action and, and fruit to go with true, true faith. So what pleases God? What does God want His church to do? And I think about so many things we do at Village. Ladies, a number of you are going to a shower today, right? For, for Kelsey. As you go and as you care for her, you are being God's church. Because out, we're taking outside of our walls and we're doing what God says to love one another. You are being God's church. Many of you came to Project Touch as we handed out gifts to our neighborhood. As you walked out those doors, in fact, I said it in, in, in my little blurb on Facebook about it, you were being God's church. As you care for those kids at Awana, you are being God's church. As you show your neighbor you love them, you are being God's church if your goal is to share the Gospel with them. As you walk with God at work and walk in a way that has integrity and don't hide your, your salvation and your Christianity, you are being God's church. 
because we are pleasing God and putting Christianity into action. And I, I, I would just want to live on that one all day. All day. But we need to move on. A couple of other observations about being God's church. Being God's church is a 24-7 identity. It's a 24-7. You know what I mean by 24-7? 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We don't ever stop being God's church. You know, I had them not nail one of the 2x4s in on purpose. Because what if we had this approach of, I'm going to be God's church on Sunday morning. From 9.30 to 12, I am God's church. I might even stay till 12.30 and fellowship a bit. But then during the week, you know what? I have my own life over here. I don't want to be bothered by what's going on with people at church. What would happen if all the two-by-fours, which are us, we put our names on them, what if all the two-by-fours did that? The roof falls down. God's church, which is this an illustration of building it, God's church falls down because the nails aren't there holding it together. We are God's church, but we are God's church every day, every moment of every day. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ, even tomorrow. And even Tuesday. Which means I should keep you in mind. I should keep God's church in mind every day. Finally, the last observation there in your notes. Being God's church means being family. Means being family. To act in a way that shows we are family. Again, we just went through the holidays. You could come to a family celebration, couldn't you? And you could be family by genetics and sit in a corner and say nothing to everyone else, but none of us here would say that that's being family, right? What does being family mean in a family setting? What? Interacting. Caring for one another. So we are God's church. We are His living temple being built up together, but we are adopted sons and daughters of a king. We are family. And next week, we're going to spend a week continuing to flesh that out a little bit of how to be God's church as a family as we talk about what I think is a radical difference in how to help family and how to meet needs in this church. And I pray it challenges us to our core next week to think about what it means to be God's church as a family. The thing about family is, is we need to be caring about each other outside of Sunday morning, sort of bringing all those concepts together. And, and we talked about that two weeks ago. I talked about that. Do we give time to be family? Do we have people in our homes? Do we talk with people about life? Do we share life and live life together? Because that's part of what it means to be God's church. So the first part of our theme for the year is to be God's church. The second part of our theme is to build God's church. It's to build God's church. And and, and the the first observation there is, is probably the key observation for this. God does the building. God does the building. He gives the plans. He gives the power. He gives the energy. He is building his church. Did you see that in the first Peter or first Peter passage? In verse five, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. The implication there is someone else is doing the building. We are being built up by God. 
In Ephesians 2, 19-22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Comes back to we're a family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Great passage to dig into more. It's a corollary corollary passage to 1 Peter 2. But we are being built by God Almighty. And, And this point really flows from the point before. As we be God's church and do what God wants us to do, we build God's church or God builds His church. These aren't two separate things. As I care about someone else that's sitting here, as I care about someone in this congregation, God is using me to build His church. As I do what He wants, what pleases Him, He is building His church. But the thing is, we also build. And so you may be thinking, well, in your theme you say, be God's church, build God's church. The implication is that we have a part in that. And we do. In, in 1 Corinthians 3.9, Paul is talking about building, and he says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Be careful how you build. And so the first two observations is God does the building, and we also build. Confused? who seem like they're, they're in opposition to each other. But it's a hierarchy where God is the one building through His tools, through us. It's very similar to if I was to say, this hammer built this wall. Did this hammer build this wall? I heard answers on both sides. That's, that's the thing. It had a part in it. It was a tool in it but it was empowered by the builder. Make sense? So we build the church, but God builds the church by by using His hammers. I'm not saying go out and be hammers. We are the building materials. We are the tools. And God is the designer. As I think about that, as I think about God as the master builder, God designs... And we are His tools that He uses as He wills that frees us up in ministry. That frees us up to attempt great things for God. Because He's the builder. He's the one that's directing the tools. I can't fail if I'm doing what He has asked me to do. That doesn't mean that success will look exactly like I want it to look, but it will be what He wants to do in His church. And so for ministries at Village, as we talk about being God's church and building God's church, I challenge you to think big. To think outside of the box. To pray and say, what does God want me to do? And when He puts something on our hearts that we think that's just too big for us at Village, don't throw it away. Let's talk about it. Let's see if, that God wants, if that's what God wants us to do. There's a number of things we want to do this year that are big things. Like I said, next week we'll talk about an Acts 4 ministry where we start to to talk about a different way of caring for the church that is just a a huge thing. 
I'd love to see us at the end of the year, we're talking about doing a living nativity for our community. And you may say, well, we're too small. There's no way. I, as I talk with people and as I, I hear ideas, we can do this. And we can be a light for Christ in our community and show them Christ. Because He's the one doing the building. How do we build God's church? We do it by building up believers, spiritually encouraging one another, coming together to work. We saw a group of men come together to do what would have taken me probably till about now to finish. There are things that we can do as a church that that God can accomplish through us as a church because it's a collective that none of us can do by ourselves. None of us. One of the things we'd like to do this year is, is when we come to Memorial Day, we'd like to do some village barbecues. Village barbecues. Food is a great way to, to bring people in and attract people. But what we'd like to do is, and I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we, we'd like to have them in several homes and take a home that wants to host a barbecue, that wants to reach your community for Christ, make a difference in your community, and bring about three or four other village families with you. So you're doing it together. So it's not this huge project that we can barely accomplish on our own. And then invite three or four families from your neighborhood and eat meat. Oh, yeah. Watch the Dodgers. I had to throw that in somewhere. (laughs) And by doing that, we come together, and and there's a number of things. Not only does that share the the burden of the, the event, but as people see us interacting with each other as a family, as God's church, as we be God's church, God will build His church. As we love one another, people will know we are His disciples. Jesus said that in John 13, 35. As we do what God wants us to do and, be com- and are committed to each other, this wall people will notice. This church people will notice. One of our elders wrote this. When the church is who it is intended to be, God is glorified. Men, women, and children are saved. Real growth occurs. And families and communities are radically changed. Be God's church so He can build His church. We also build His church by sharing the Gospel, by adding believers to His community. And those are things we want to focus on. The last point of our our theme is losing our lives for the King. Losing our lives for the King. And if you turn over to Mark 8, Mark 8, Verse 34. And your first thought might be, well, that's sort of a, an odd thing to put in a theme. And we're not going to have you all drink Kool-Aid and we're not going it's, to... It's not talking about anything like that. But these are Christ's words. These are Christ's words as He talks about what it means to follow Him. And Mark 8.34 says, "...in calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, If anyone would come after me, a reference to following Christ's discipleship, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
And you have three things there. The first is denying ourselves. Getting past, this isn't what I want, or this is inconvenient for me. Getting past that and saying, it's not about me, it's about God's church. And so denying my desires, denying the way I think things should be done, or that I want attention, or that I want my opinion heard. Being about the King. And take up your cross was a reference to the practice that we saw with, with Christ where they, they strapped the crossbar of the cross to his, his arms and made him walk through Jerusalem on his way to be executed. And it's a reference to that to say we should be willing to give everything for the cause of Christ, even our lives. Take up our cross. Shoulder one stake. And being willing to give up everything dear to follow Christ. And then finally, follow me. His way, His path. And then verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. When we are God's church, when we be God's church, He builds His church, but the only way that's going to happen is if we lose our lives, if we deny self, if we get past and get over ourselves and say, I am here for the builder. I am here for the builder. And that is so backwards for what our world thinks. Coach Newt Rockney said, show me a good loser and I'll show you a failure. Bumper stickers say, he who dies with the most toys wins. Those are false. Those are false worldviews. He who dies with the most toys still dies and still has to face his, his Maker, and still has to answer for what he lived life for. An early Christian slogan was, For Christ and the Gospel. For Christ and the Gospel. That's what we want to be about at Village in 2014. We want to be God's church, which means in all of our ministries we'll be looking for how we can take Him out the doors. How we can be God's church beyond three hours on Sunday morning. We're to build God's church. We want to be available to what He wants to do here and, and attempt some incredible things for God and watch Him work. We want to lose our lives for the King. To deny ourselves. Next week, we'll continue talking about this a little bit, about the practical side of it. How does this look in our ministries, in our, in our four core values of, of outreach and community and spiritual growth and ministry? How does this look for 2014? And we'll focus in on one particular ministry that we want to start and and put this into practice next week. See what God has for us. So join us next week. See what God does. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for building your church. For using us as two-by-fours and nails and screws and nuts and bolts to do incredible things for your glory, to proclaim your excellencies. Lord, I pray for us as a church this year that we would see ourselves as your church, that we would be your church outside of these walls, that it would become part of everything we do. Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do this year, how you're going to build on last year, the souls that are going to come to you, the people that are going to be baptized, 
the people that are going to be discipled, God. Can't wait. Because you're the builder. In Jesus' name, amen.